Hello, everyone, and blessings to you. This is Dr. Wendy Rhodes, and I am here for the You Are Not Your Trauma show here today. Today's guest is Dr. Jonathan Solomon. Jonathan Solomon is a native of my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, a first-generation low-income graduate, foster care alumnus, committed to mentorship, social justice, education, and a supporter of HBCU. He's an advocate for minorities, a recipient of the 30 and Under Award, 2018 Outstanding Young Recipient Alumnus Award from Langston Hughes University or Langston University. Um, he had another award from the gener, uh, generational under undergrad or whatever, 30 award, I'm sorry, but he's the husband of Jasmine and the dog dad to Huncho, the French bulldog. So you guys, without further ado, we're going to bring our guest on right now. And here he is. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the introduction. <laughs> Hey, Jonathan, blessings to you. I am so thankful to have you on the show today. Thank you for giving your yes. I so appreciate you for coming on this show. If you like, I'm going to step out and let you just do a little brief intro just to say hello to everybody. All right. I appreciate that. Uh, well, hello, everyone. I feel like the introduction um, covered a lot of different things. But yeah, Jonathan Solomon. Um, another thing that is probably important in terms of relationship, Dr. Whitney Rhodes is my aunt. And so I feel like today is going to be um, one of those um, auntie um, conversations. Really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I um, am really committed to the cause um, and, and push that this show um, has been doing, the type of conversations that it, it has, um, allowing people to come and, and talk through their story. Um, and kind of like how they've got to where they are. That's stuff that I hold near and dear to my heart, and I don't feel like there's always a lot of spaces that allow for that. So I'm just really looking forward to having that conversation. Um, hopefully it sparks some conversations um, with with you all and your families and people that you love. Uh, so yeah, really looking forward to that. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. So we're going to dive right into this. As I was looking at your bio, I noticed that you classified yourself as a nomad as a child. So where does that come from? Why did you classify yourself as a nomad? Yeah, yeah. So um, as a kid, um, so I come from a, a large blended family. And so there's, I am one of, of 12 children. Um, and there's an age gap um, and kind of have lived all over the place. And so as a young kid, I spent a lot of time like either with my, my dad or my mom um, living in different states. And so being born and raised um, in Cleveland, um, you know, was something that was really important to my identity as a kid, but I moved around a lot. And so I spent a lot of my younger years in Minnesota, um, the Twin Cities area, um, lived like outside of Cleveland and Elyria. I spent some time with my uncle living in Georgia. Um, I spent some time with an aunt living in Michigan. Um, and finally, I think before like I reached adulthood, uh, my father um, joined this program and moved to California. And so me and my younger sister moved to LA and I finished out high school in that area. 
And so um, moved around a lot um, between like both of, both of my parents at different times, living with different family members. Um, and I, you know, I was just like reflecting on the amount of schools that I went to. I think I went to almost 30 schools before I went to college, you know, between these different states. And um, yeah, so when I say nomad, it means that um, I used to like lie to my friends. Or, you know, I was like, oh, my family's in the military and I'm moving to all these different places. Um, just to kind of keep people out of your business. Uh, but really, I think, like, as my parents were, were figuring their things out, um, you know, it caused for us to move a lot. Um, and it caused for us to maybe spend some time with family, you know, as my as my parents were kind of working through their own things. And, um, yeah, and that included, um, you know, being in foster care um, as, a, as a kid. And so that's another thing, uh, even though that I was in Cleveland during that time. That's another thing is just like moving around, uh, whether it be family, whether it be foster care, um, whether it be like homeless shelters at different times, all of those things kind of um, encompass this idea that I was like a nomad as a kid. Is that what struck your interest in becoming an alumnus for the foster care system? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when when I when me and my younger sister went to foster care, I would say uh, foster care is one of those things I think a lot of people are obviously not proud to, to be a part of. Um, it's, you know, I don't think anybody like grows up and like, oh, yeah, I want to be in foster care. I want to be a foster care alumni. Um, but it was something that we had to go through. And I think for me, um, some of the things that kind of stuck out as soon as like I went to foster care was for a first time in a very long time, like I knew that I had heat. I knew that I had like meals that were coming. Um, I knew that, you know, there was a system that was was set up um, just to kind of get me and my younger sister out of the situation that we were in. And that was a transformational time. Um, and so I look back at like the movie Antoine Fisher and think about like some of those experiences and like how they compare to my own experience. Um, I entered into foster care in a very great home um, with a woman uh, who was somewhat connected with my family in a little way in that, you know, a family member of hers lived next door to my grandmother. Um, but I, I had never known. And she took very well good care of me and my younger sister. And we have a strong relationship to this day. Um, but I also had some challenges. And so I lived in a house where um, me and my sister were not able to talk to each other. And we were like abused and, and not fed. And so I had different experiences within the foster care system. But I think um, like that time is important to like my identity and who I am. And to this day, you know, I, I still talk about that because it is important to me. Um, I like work with foster youth today, um, knowing that, you know, that was a part of my journey. Um, and it's going to stick with me wherever I go. So I want to be able to kind of speak to that for kids who are navigating it now. Well, you know what? I think that that is, um, a great thing because they need an example like you that have gone through the system. It's like looking at you from the foster care standpoint and coming from poverty to PhD. I even look at the fact that I was a teen mom and now I'm an advocate for teen moms. And it's like, even my book was, I did it teen mom parent success. It's like, they need to see that they too can do it. And even just like you, even though your situation 
what's not ideal. It's not nobody wakes up and say, oh, yeah, like you said, I want to be in foster care. I want to do this or whatever. That's not the way that it is all the time, even with pregnancy or drug abuse. A lot of times, like, you know, like even having it in the family, like with me, like we had like times with, you know, different things that has happened in the family dynamics. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we overcame whatever it was going to be. But that's yeah. the reason why this show is that you are not your trauma. Yeah. You went from poverty to PhD and you went to a HBCU schools. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And as I've watched you, I'm so proud of the man that you have become. No matter what you have had to endure, you have overcome. You have truly overcome. So how did the HBCU really uh, mold you? Did it help to mold you to be a better person or better man? Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I, in, in talking about like the institution I attended, uh, which is an HBCU, um, I'll kind of talk about like how I first got there. And so when moving to California, um, like I started playing sports for the first time. Um, I had always been invested in academics and I knew in terms of colleges, I had been researching colleges since I was in the elementary school. And so for me, education was like my outlet. I had very great relationships with teachers um, who, even though I would come to school and try to fake the funk and put on a show and act like everything was good. I think they saw through that and which made them invest in me even more. And so um, when I got to California and I knew that I started looking at colleges, um, the one thing that I knew that I wanted to do, um, selfish of, of me, but it was important, was to get as far away from anyone that I'm related to as possible. And, and some of that was like a trauma response, just thinking about the things that I had went through. Um, but I think a lot of that for me looked like I wanted to create this life that was free of all the things that I had went through of like expectations. And I just wanted to, to get it on my own. And so um, I was lucky enough to get a football scholarship to Langston University in Oklahoma. And um, I remember the day I got that scholarship um, and like how quickly I needed to get there. And so I didn't know much about like college life. And so I, I called a Greyhound from Los Angeles to Langston, Oklahoma, well, Oklahoma City, and literally hitchhiked from Oklahoma City to Langston, which was like 40 mi 45 miles away. And I showed up with a trash bag full of clothes, um, but I knew that like this was an opportunity that I had been working for, I had been praying for, and it was time to do whatever I needed to do to survive here. And so um, for me, my HBCU is paramount in like who I've become because this is a historically black university in Oklahoma, which has strong black history. But um, I didn't know, outside of me just being black, I didn't know what that meant. And so I had always went to mostly black schools. Um, I had always been around mostly black people, but I think Langston gave me a great foundation to better understand like, what does it mean to be black? Like how do we deal with, um, racism, like what does it mean to just be like black and proud? Um, and so all of those foundations were important. And some of the, the key points that were also really important was just like the relationships that I was able to build while I was there. And so people 
um, invested in me and mentored me. I remember um, one of my professors, Dr. Randy Hunt, my freshman year at Langston, um, saw that like I didn't have business clothes. And so he called me to his office after clothes, uh, after class and gave me a suit jacket and like put it on me. And to this day, um, I still have that suit jacket. And so it was, it was those types of like relationships and people investing in you. Um, I think that was really important. And for me also, like as somebody who moved around a lot and like have like felt a void in terms of like my family relationships, feeling like I've always been the other in my family, it was important to be at an institution that like treated me like family and there was no questions asked. It was just like, oh, you're here, you're a part of us um, and we're invested in your success and growth. Um, And so that, that college journey, those four years at Langston, um, definitely set, set the foundation for like the type of man that I am, um, the things that I care about, like what it looks like to give back to people, um, but also just like take time to to think about like your feelings and like how you got into this place to be able to give back to others in that type of way. Yes. So tell me this, where or when did you cultivate a relationship with God throughout all of this? When did you really, truly just start really knowing that God is real? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I've always, you know, I, I grew up, my mom made us go to church. And so um, when we lived in Cleveland um, and I, when I was on Star, you know, I was going to grandma's church. Everybody know what Star is, right? When I I lived on Star Avenue in Cleveland, I was going to my grandmother's church. Um, But I, what I can recall, moving to Minnesota, and I think at one point my dad gave me an option of whether or not, like, I wanted to go to church. And at that time, as a kid, like, I wasn't as interested in it. And I fondly remember, um, right after I got out of foster care, I was living with my uh, one of my sisters, Renee, in Shaker Heights. Uh, which was a whole nother experience. But um, I had really got invested in my relationship with my Uncle Sonny, um, so my dad's brother. And my Uncle Sonny went to church, and I told my Uncle Sonny one day, I was like, hey, Uncle Sonny, I'm, like, doing a lot of reflecting on the journey. Like, I'm in this new school, um, and I want to start going to church. And he was like, I'll come pick you up for church, but, like, you got to be ready. And so um, I started going to church with my Uncle Sonny, and I had to call him every week to let him know that I was coming to church. And I think during that time, um, like having went through all the things that I went through, I was feeling strongly like all of these things that are happening to me or like all these things that happen around me are for a reason. Um, I have a purpose. And so like I want to be a part of a faith community um, where I can talk about that, where I can be like celebrate God and just like learn more about those things. And so I would say I was, this was my, my freshman year of high school. And so I was like 14 when I think that, um, all of it began making sense to me. Um, because before then it was a lot of, I don't understand like why these things are happening to me, like blaming myself for some of these things. Um, I think when I like committed to growing in faith with my uncle, um, that was really good. And I think it was just very special because those were some of the last opportunities I had with him before he passed um, is him picking me up for church and us talking about our week and all those types of things. And so, um, so yeah, that's, I would say 14 is when like I began knowing God for myself 
and not for like routine. Yeah, it's um it's very important to know God for yourself, and especially I think probably even more so when you started transitioning, you probably got in a little bit deeper with them, but just you know, even understanding the fact that God had opened that door for you to get that full ride scholarship mm-hmm. to go to that school. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was like, come hell or high water, I'm going to get there. And yeah. that's what people don't understand is the drive behind it. It's like, did it seem like a drug or did it seem like a dream to you? Like, wait a minute, somebody just really punking me right now. And you just said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go get this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it was a mix of that. So like a part of it did feel like a dream. It was like, oh, these things are actually happening. But another part of it was, and I think that even to this day, I reflect on it a lot. Um, my story is already written. And so like I am walking in the purpose um, that God has for me. This Like it, it's it's been outlined. And so a lot of times when I've been in different spaces um, and even when I was kind of going through it, like, oh, like getting a football scholarship and like finding different successes. Um, I was just reminded that like I'm supposed to be here. And um, which is important, I think, because there have been times where I felt like an imposter or like have imposter syndrome. And just I was like, gonna, oh, I do you know, uh, was you like read my mind? <laughs> Were you literally reading my mind? Because I was going to ask you. That was one of my questions. Did you uh-huh. deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> but I think like reminding myself that, you know, my story was already written um, and that like I am exactly where I was supposed to be, um, helped it not necessarily feel like a dream, but like feel like the right next step. Yeah, yeah. And that's really amazing though. I promise you that's just amazing. But what a lot of times what we don't realize is that blueprint that mm-hmm. was already prepared before you were in your mother's womb. And people don't understand that a lot of times we say, why me? Why me? Why did this have to happen to me? Why did I have to go through this? And it's, why not me? Yeah. Because this is a step closer to where God needs you to be. But with all of these things happening, it gives you the strength to move forward to the next thing. And then when you look back on it, it don't look as bad because like a lot of times I look back on my past of things that happened before to me. And it seems like a dream, but that's because the God that we serve is such a good God to us that you may have felt the sting of it at the time, Mm -hmm. but the after effects of it, when everything that you've gone through, he's balled it all up together, like the foster care, the moving from one place to the other, the 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 going to the schools, the the you know cooperating with this and being over this and being a mentor to these people. All of this stuff meant everything. It means everything to your final destination. So it's like when you walk in in purpose, it's like, of course, no, we have not arrived, but we show on on the right path. And sometimes it may not feel good that next path that you even have to take because when he's elevating you, it don't feel good. Yeah. It does not feel good. 
moving to that next level don't feel good a lot of times. It just does not. Is there anything that, um, like as far as you are a CEO and founder of a company, mm -hmm. tell us about your company. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I recently founded Strategize with Solomon, uh, which is an educational consulting firm. Um, and really, the the idea from that was birthed um, from a, a lot of different things. And so professionally, I had been working um, in higher education student affairs uh, for about 10 years before transitioning um, a little bit over a year ago into the ed tech industry. So working in tech now. And really what I wanted to make sure that I was making room for um, was my passion um, for black males. And so what that looks like from an educational standpoint is I want to be along for the journey from like self-discovery as like a black boy into like a, a black man um, who is finding himself and like work, career, personal life, all of those things. And so as a company strategize with Solomon, um, really what I am doing is working with institutions, organizations, um, and other companies to help them think about like, how can we build better pipeline programs um, for black males? And so um, if you're looking at a university, what that means is helping black males get admitted to institutions if they want to go to colleges and universities um, and making sure that the institutions are prepared um, and ready for them, um, but also like actively engaged in their success. Um, from an organizational standpoint, um, helping organizations better understand um, like how to be more equitable um, and building pipelines for, for black males as well. Um, and then I think there there's a, a ton of wealth of knowledge that I've been able to kind of accumulate over the years. And so being able to help families um, better understand college decision and prepare um, their children um, for the college journey um, or whatever it is that um, is the next step for them after high school graduation. And so, yeah, it's really pulling together a lot of my experience um, and my passion for mentorship um, and doing this on my own. I think a lot of what I've been doing over the last 10 plus years is working for different organizations and giving them um, all of my passion, all of like who I am. And I have had to sit back and I think being inspired by my wife is definitely one of them and think about like, what am I doing for myself? Um, and like, how am I putting my own stuff out there? And um, that is kind of really like all the things that kind of went into like me developing um, this organization, Strategize with Solomon. So yeah, uh, very much in the beginning stages, but I've done some consulting for different organizations before. Um, and so um, really just formulating that in a way that kind of gets the brand out there. Listen, that's very powerful. But I kind of want to dig just a little bit. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to dig just a little bit. And I'm kind of going backwards a little. But this has something to do with the fact of you being able to move around so much throughout your childhood and not really being stable. But what I want to know is, did you ever have to get to a point where you needed to have therapy to heal from a lot of these things? Because you said that you're married. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you have a lot of that baggage, 
that baggage carries over into a marriage, which makes it complicated, makes it hard to communicate and different things like that. Yeah. Tell me about your healing process with yeah. everything that happened to you. Yeah, great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I am an active participant in therapy and have been uh, for a number of years. Um, I honestly wish that it was introduced to me um, earlier. Um, but um, the earliest conversations I remember having um, was with my social worker when we went to foster care. And from there, like I knew that um, you could tell them something, you could tell them stuff, but you didn't give them everything. And so that kind of affected my relationship with, with therapy, even as an adult. Like I started um, going to therapy first um, for like premarital counseling. And then, like, within those conversations, discovering that, like, there, I still do hold a lot of trauma um, from my childhood. And even though I may try to mask it or act like um, it doesn't affect me, um, it actively does in in ways that I wasn't even um, aware of. And so throughout these last couple years um, going to therapy, I've been able to kind of ask myself, like why for me like some of the things that were like paramount was just like oh like why do i not like going back home to cleveland you know and i had never thought about like some of the reasons why it was you know i i avoided going back home but it was because i knew what i was walking into like there was a lot of trauma there i think that when when i am home um, it reminds me of stuff that i kind of went through um and so that was a big thing um, why it's almost like PTSD. Yeah. You go back. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, or even questions around like, why am I not an affectionate person? You know, like in previous relationships, like that has, um, been a thing. And I had to think back to, um, like how often and when as a kid, like affection was displayed to me or like the word, I love you or like physical touch, any of those things. And in doing my reflection work in therapy, I realized that those were not things that I remember ever being a part of, like even my relationship with my parents. And so I, I, I think that therapy has been extremely important for like me to start undoing some of those things and me putting a name to it, but also just me being true to myself. And so there have definitely been times where um, like I knew that I wanted to have a relationship or or like a conversation with a family member and talk about how this may have hurt me or like how I still want to invest in this relationship. But uh, me being non-confrontational and me not wanting to say those things, like therapy has helped to push me to have like difficult conversations Mm -hmm. and knowing that there is freedom in that. And so um, I still say that it's, it's, it's a journey. Uh, I am definitely miles and miles and miles ahead of where I was before I started therapy, but um, yeah, that, that healing journey is is critical, especially when you've gone through some stuff and you don't even realize like how you're carrying it and like how it's affecting the people around you. Um, if you don't work on yourself, um, believe me, you you and those around you are going to feel it. So. Yeah. But listen, what I'll tell you is um, God had really led me to really, because at first, um, 
my target audience was mostly women because of everything that I had been, I had gone through, domestic violence, sexual assault, different things like that. So my audience were the women that looked like me. The women had went through what I had gone through. But after being married a second time and realizing that I had traumas that I had brought that I was trying to get rid of, and my husband had traumas too, it was important for us to get the help that we needed. Um, and what God was showing me is that the only thing, and I take responsibility for my actions. I truly, I, I'm going to be the first to tell you, hey, I'm going to take responsibility for what I have said and what I have done. And you ain't got to worry about me lying to you because the lie ain't coming out of my mouth because it's too hard to cover up. But what I will say is that there was times that I had only thought about what had happened to me. And it's important as a wife, to a man who has had traumas to be able to recognize that it's not just about you. Mm. It's like, yes, your traumas are there. And yes, you faced majority of your traumas, but you end up with PTSD when something this person does resembles something that happened over here or something that said that triggers. That means you still need help. But at the same time, as a wife, recognizing that my husband still has traumas, it was important for me to put myself to the side for just long enough to hear him. Even though he's already said it, I still didn't hear it. And it was important for me to hear him. Yeah. Men ain't going to say but so much. Yeah. But y'all was shut down and all of that shutting down, you shut down and the wall goes up, you yeah. shut down and the wall stay up. Yeah. But even when given the opportunity to speak a lot of times, we still be talking. <laughs> so, but I know now that I know and I understand my husband so much better, God is was able to pull us together and two truly becomes one once there is a better understanding. Yeah. More compassion. And that's why I did a, a thing on the podcast. Men have traumas too. Let's show compassion. And that's so important. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think to, to that point, you know, I think that's beautiful. Like you journey together and like better understanding each other. And uh, as I, like, I recall, like, everything that I was taught about, like, what it meant to be a man very early on. And one of the things that kind of stuck out was, like, oh, we figure it out for ourselves. And, like, we don't have everyone in our business. Or um, just, like, those types of things that, that make men emotionally unavailable, like, and wanting to have these type of conversations. Um, because from the very root, um, or at the very beginning of of time, when we were talking about like what it means to be a man, um, it was not this. It was not these types of conversations. It was not expressing emotion in any type of way. Those things made you less of a man. And so, um, as I've grown and gotten older, like I've had to even question the things that I were taught. Like, was it society taught me? Like, other friends, family, you know, um, the media taught me about like being a man um, and undo that so that I can find like true like self-liberation and like having these conversations 
um, being vulnerable. And I think it's, you know, it's still a, it's, it's still a struggle because I do find myself sometimes, you know, like, uh, I, like I'm emotionally burnt out. Like I am um, going to put up a wall and I'm, I am going to retreat. But I think the thing that therapy has helped me with is like, before I get to that point, if I feel myself getting to that point, like having the tools to stop right there and have a conversation like, yo, like this may be a lot for me, like expressing myself in that moment. Like, I feel like I'm getting to that place. So yeah. let me pause and come back so I can be available to have those conversations. And I think that's true in any relationship that I have. Um, just trying to be better and like not be doing the things that I was taught um, that men do um, at a young age. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's really good that you understand that. And even knowing when to pull back or when it, knowing when it's too much right now, like, hey, wait a minute, I need to take a breath. I need to take a break. Let me pull back. That's really understandable. I mean, it really is because a lot of times, even, you know, like I'm writing a book right now and it's about women and men and children who are wounded. You know, and because we have these wounds, there's so many different ways we have to deal with it. And people don't even understand that, you know, these things happen in stages and phases and there's different ways that you have to deal with it. You know, and first and foremost, it's just like an alcoholic or um, a drug addict. They have to first confess that they want to heal. You know, you got to want it first. There's nothing your therapist, my therapist, no, your mama, your daddy can do if you don't say, listen, I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm tired of even having this same situation following me over and over and over again in every relationship that I get in. It's like the common denominator is who? Me, right? Yeah, you're the common denominator when everybody's saying the same thing and you ain't saying it, it's usually the common denominator, it's usually you. Yeah, so anyway, um, I kind of want to get it right with your awards, so I'm about to cheat and I feel bad that I blotched it up so bad the first time. I think but you did pretty good, you know, it was know. one or two things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> really want them to understand yeah. he is a recipient of the 30 under 40 award for the pan african network of acpa mm -hmm. deluxe power 100 award next gen under 30 award and 2018 outstanding young alumnus award from langston university i got it that time you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't want to blotch that up. Yeah. That's too important. That's mm -hmm. way too important. I appreciate it's too that. important to who you are. It's too important yeah. that these young people that are looking up to you, it's important that they can see that. That they can see that the struggle is real but it's attainable that you too can do it. Yeah. You can do it. You display such resilience 
And there's nothing else that I can say is that you fought the good fight of faith. You have faithed it through better than anybody that I have seen, especially at your age. You fought through and you have made it on the other side and you still ain't seen nothing yet. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Now, I'm not just on here tooting your horn, but I'm just saying, and not just because you're my nephew. I'm Listen here, world. It's not just because he's my nephew. It's because I've watched it and yeah. I've seen it. And I so look forward to seeing what God is going to do next. Yeah, I appreciate because that. it's going to be amazing. I'm about to dip off of here. And I'm about to let you have your way on this platform. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk to these young people. I want you to even to talk to some of these men that have fallen down and felt like they couldn't even get back up. These men that feel like they have failed their children, because it's a lot of them that feel like they've failed their children. And just because they feel that way don't mean that their kid actually feel that way, that they can pick it right back up. So I'm going to leave out of here and let you give them some advice yeah, yeah. or okay. some words of wisdom. There it is. All right. All right. So the first thing, before I jump into that, I, I want to give um, my aunt some, some flowers too. Um, so I talked a lot about like as a kid moving around a lot, like not feeling a part of family. One of the fondest memories um, for me as a kid um, was coming to her house um, and feeling like that was away from my reality um, and being able to kind of spend the weekend there um, and see something that was completely different. And so um, I just, I appreciate those memories and those things stick out to me as like opportunities to get away from my reality um, and to see something different. And so I just want to put that out there. Uh, but to, to answer the question, I think, in thinking about like, what would I leave people with, with for today um, is to have conversations with, with people that you care about. Um, whether you feel like they are going to um, go the way that you want them to or not. And what I mean by that, I think that throughout my healing journey, um, whether it be through therapy and, and all of those different types of things, I think the thing that has been the most important for me is like having conversations um, with my parents and with family members. And so as I have done the work to like understand kind of like what I went through and how it affects me today, I've appreciated being able to go to my mom and to my dad um, and to talk to them about that, but more than anything, to learn about their story and like learn about like what made them um, make the decisions that they made, like how did they get to this point in their life? And I think from like just being able to kind of take in and listen and hear what other people's journeys are, like I better understand um, why decisions were made. Um, and I think like some of that is just being an adult and understanding like there's complexities behind everything. But um, I have so enjoyed um, like building a real relationship uh, with my parents and learning more about their journeys um, and better understanding them outside of being parents, but them as people and like how their own past traumas have impacted the things that they've done. 
And so um, that has been really important to me. And I think that like I push myself to even have these conversations with, with family members and saying like, hey, I want to be a part. Uh, I want to feel more a part of the family. And like, how can I make that happen? And so I think um, in terms of advice that I would leave people is just to push yourself to have difficult conversations um, when you know that those conversations are you being true to yourself. If you know that it's important to you and um, whether it be like searching for closure or just searching for a relationship, I think um, having those conversations is going to be important. I know everyone doesn't have access to therapy, uh, but I think we have access to each other. And so in whatever capacity you can, um, have difficult conversations, try to better understand, um, apologize, be reflective. Um, and I think we can, you know, begin healing some of the, the, the traumas that we actively are, are walking in and, and working through. Thank you again, Jonathan. I am so thankful that you said yes to this invitation. Um, it was able to open, we were able to open so many different people's eyes. For those who have not tuned in at this time that will catch it later on the replay or catch it on the broadcast or catch it on YouTube or wherever you're gonna catch this from. Even if it's just that one person that gets the message to know that you are not your trauma and that healing is your portion, I need you to connect with Jonathan at drjonathansolomon.com. There it is right there. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> connect with the doctor over here. If you have a teenager that is struggling, if you have um, a, a first time or, or like a freshman or whatever that is in college, that needs that extra push or need that extra encouragement. Jonathan is the person, he's right here for you. There's so many people out here that are not willing to open up or uh, some women feel like, you know, you doing it all by yourself. I got my kids and I don't have a husband. But then there's so many other outsources, different places, different people just like Jonathan that are out here that are ready, willing and able to help you as a single parent to bring forth some good news that you too can overcome and you are not your trauma and healing is your portion. I'm so proud of you, Jonathan. I am so proud of you. As this person as well said, I'm so proud of you, Jonathan, your test, your testimony. Oh, they said we both awesome. Okay, thank Hello. you. <laughs> okay, we awesome, we awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, but anyway um thank you and i am about to end this broadcast and again this broadcast is brought to you and sponsored today by wound care we we're overcoming the unhealed 
with necessity and determination, creating an atmosphere and an avenue to restore everything. So thank you guys and have an abundantly blessed day. Thank you. Mm -hmm.